Hi, this is Pastor Nelson Mercado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast from the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. I hope you are blessed by today's message. Let's pray now as we open God's Word. Father, again, we thank you for your Word, for the power of your Word. We pray for your Spirit to give us understanding today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, friends, we are continuing with our series, The Present Truth and the Three Angels' Messages. Today, we're going to focus on the law of God. Now, uh, uh, two weeks ago, when we, we, we uh, con- um, uh, last part of the series we shared, we talked about creation. We talked about creation. We talked about the importance. By the way, you have a study guide in your bulletin, so take that out. You'll have, of course, the words that go inside the blanks will be underlined on the screen. So we talked about creation last time. We saw that creation is an important part of the present truth message, of the end time message in particular, because many, including unfortunately many Christians, have compromised on this issue. And many have, remember we talked about evolution and and, and theistic evolution, this compromise. I, I got my preacher helper right here. Uh, um, and so we talked about this, this issue that we cannot isolate. Thank you, thank you. We cannot isolate the, uh, the subject of creation and think that it's not going to affect everything else that we believe. So we saw that indeed if, if, if you give up on the foundational belief that God created the world in six little days, many of the other beliefs that we have, they fall like a row of dominoes. And one of the things, of course, was the Sabbath. Remember, we Sabbath, the fact that we uh, worship on the Sabbath, remember we talked about the Sabbath and called it a memorial of? A memorial of creation, right? God created the world in six literal days. And so if, if indeed God did not create the world in six literal days, if evolution is the, is the truth, then we have to throw the Sabbath away. Then we have to throw the Sabbath away. Now we're going to talk about the Sabbath more in our presentation next week. Now, now before we go any further, I may have mentioned this to you before, but in order to understand the book of Revelation, there's something very important that we must keep in mind. You notice that, it, and the, that is the fact is two-thirds of the book of Revelation is borrowed from other parts of the Bible, obviously specifically the Old Testament. And so uh, uh, most of, uh, of the words, uh, the illustrations that John uses in the Revelation is not new material. He borrows it from the Old Testament. And, and when we think about the first angel's message, right, the words of Revelation 14, 7, worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and, and the springs of water, those words are similar to what we find in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. So let's look at Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, uh, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, and uh, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and holiday. So notice there the, the, the similarity right there between you know, the words of Revelation 14.7 and what we find there in Exodus, that the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And so clearly, friends, when we think about the the message of the first angel of Revelation 14, 6, and 7, the Sabbath is part of this proclamation. Okay? But now, somebody will say, okay, pastor, but you just quoted from Exodus chapter 20. You just quoted the fourth commandment, and everybody knows the Sabbath was made for the Jews. 
Right? Have you heard that before? Well, everybody knows that. It's common sense. It's just logical. And the Sabbath was made for the Jews. And, and, and many Christians today, friends, believe that the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, of course, being part of the Ten Commandments, were given specifically to the Hebrews. We call them Jews today, but back in those days, they were the Hebrews. They were given specifically to the Hebrews. And because it was given specifically to them, it no, or they no longer apply to Christians today. That may seem seems kind of strange to you, but friends, many people in Christianity believe such thing. The commandments are not for us. That was specific for the Israelites. That was specific for the Hebrews. And, you know, as I've told you before, I I, I have conversations. This is part of my research, and I I get to meet people on on social media. and, and, And it's amazing. I have these conversations with these Christians in particular. Even this week, uh, um, I've been having a conversation with a former Seventh-day Adventist. Do you realize that there is a ministry to former Seventh-day Adventists? Yes. If you look at online, they have podcasts and all kinds of things. They they cater to people who are struggling that coming out of Adventism. And so it's interesting. And most people, if they leave a denomination, well, they move on with their lives. But people that leave Adventism, for some reason, have an axe to grind and have a ministry specifically to bring people out of the church. You believe that Satan is working very hard here. But, you know, again, and again, there's a conversation. I've heard these podcasts. This is exactly what they say. Let me share with you, for example, a statement from a gentleman by the name of Matt Smithhurst. He writes an article titled, Why Don't Christians Keep the Jewish Law? Notice what he says. The the, the New Testament repeatedly declares that God's people are no longer under law. And notice he mentions a number of passages there. Interestingly enough, when you look at those passages in context, you realize that it it says nothing about ignoring the law of God. We're no longer, obviously, under the condemnation of the law. But, you know, what, what they do is they take a passage or half a passage and they make it say anything they want to say if you take it out of context. That's what they do. The, and notice, that era of salvation history ended when, in the person of Jesus, God himself came to earth, obeyed his own law, and inaugurated his own kingdom. As those forgiven by God and indwelt by his spirit, then believers in Christ are no longer mastered by sin and subjected to the law's damning demands. This is what they say. And again, uh, I was listening to a podcast, uh, this former Adventist podcast. This is exactly what they say. Oh, you know, we are to live in the spirit. We are no longer mastered by sin. We are no longer subjected to the law. That's what they believe. In other words, Jesus kept the law, and since Jesus kept the law perfectly, we no longer need to do it. Now, this belief, part of the reason for this belief is that uh, the fact is that there are no commandments listed, as we find them in Exodus 20, there are no commandments listed in the book of Genesis and all the way until Exodus chapter 20, and that is true. But because of that, that's, this is their belief. Because of that, that means, notice what uh, many Christians today argue, that God had no law or requirements for humanity before the, the children of Israel came out of Egypt and he led them to Mount Sinai. Again, this is the only logical conclusion. There is no law. The, 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 the commandments were given to the Jews, to the Hebrews back there in Exodus 20, and there is nothing in, 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 in the Bible before that that suggests that there is a law. So there was no law. No law requirements for humanity. And this, of course, creates some problems. It creates some inconsistencies because the Bible tells us in Romans 4.15 what? For where there is no law, 
there's no transgression. And, and it's just common sense, right? It, it, it's just logical. If there's no law to break, you can't be a cra- accused of breaking the law. Uh, if, you're, if you're driving on 24 as you leave here, or, or you go on 440 to get to 24, you know the miles, the, 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 the speed limit is 55 miles an hour. Do you know that? You didn't know that? You take 440? I take 440 all the way to 24. Lucy's smiling at me because, uh, you know, I, she has a lead foot. No, no, it's 55 miles an hour on 440. So, so, it, so Sherman, if you're driving at 70 miles an hour on 440 and the police stops you, the police is in perfect right to give you a citation, right? Because the posted law said that was 55 miles an hour. I, I want to I see, see that written in the law. Let, let, let's see if that, if that gives you a justification when he gives you the ticket. Well, that's, not, that's the point. So, 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 so think about it. If, 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 there it is, 55 miles an hour. But if for some reason the authorities took the 55 mile an hour uh, signs away and they decided, well, there is nothing there. There's no 55 mile an hour requirement. If you're driving at 70 or 75 or 80, um, then uh, if they stopped you, they can't give you a ticket. Right? Because, you know, I was, um, I had the privilege, well, if you call it privilege, I was, uh, I was uh, a passenger inside the car. You know, in Germany, the Autobahn is just, you can drive as fast as you want, right? And so I was, in, you know, in the car, I was in the Autobahn. But even then, they, they have these little um, elect- electronic signs, basically. So this is not like you can drive as fast as you want any time of the day. They can te- they'll tell you what times of the day you can drive as fast as you want. So notice, even the Autobahn has some requirements, right? That 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 you follow these rules, right? If if there, but but if there's no rule, then you can't be accused of breaking the law. So again, this is the, the logical conclusion. Right? If there is no law before Exodus chapter 20, there could have been no transgression. Make sense? It's common sense, really. Paul continues. In, in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, uh, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and, and, and thus death spread to all men, why? Because of all sin. And notice the, the parenthetical statement there, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. So notice, until the law, until the law was given in, in Exodus chapter 20, there was sin in the world, wasn't there? God does not impute sin when there is no law. So there must have been a law, right? He continues, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So friends, uh, since all humanity sinned, death spread everywhere. Why? Because Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. So we can conclude then that if there was no law before Sinai, there would be no sin, and if there was no sin, there would be no death. But unfortunately, that's not the case, is it? Now, it's true, again, that, the, uh, uh, that there are no uh, uh, law, uh, there's not a law listed uh, of rules 1, 2, 3 uh, uh, in the book of Genesis all the way into Exodus chapter 20. But there's plenty of stories in the book of Genesis and in the first few chapters of Exodus that show clearly that there must have been a law. Okay, so let's, let's review some of them. Some of them, you're, you're very familiar with this. You remember the story of the first murder, right? Cain killed his brother Abel. 
right? And so God, of course, after this takes place, has a conversation with, uh, with, with, uh, with Cain. And, and he asks the question, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cried, cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of, uh, of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. So notice the result of Cain killing his brother Abel was he was a curse. He was cursed from the earth, which Cain saw as a punishment, which would lead others to kill him. But now, it would have been unfair for God to punish Cain for murdering his brother Abel if there was no, uh, no such command as saying you shall not murder. Does that make sense? Cain was punished because he committed murder. If murder wasn't a problem, then God was unfair for punishing him. But God is not unfair, is it? He's not unfair. So clearly there must have been, even though it's not listed, that we know, of course, do not murder is the sixth commandment. So there must have been a knowledge already in Adam and Eve and, and Cain that the God said, do not murder, because that's breaking the law. Then, of course, later on, a few chapters later, we, talk, we read about the story of Noah. The story of the time of Noah, uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Then the Lord saw the wickedness, or that the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So in other words, sin was running rampant in the world. Does that, that make sense? You know, today we see the same thing, don't we? Sin is running rampant in the world. There's evil and wickedness everywhere, friends. But now, friends, if... I mean, because of the sin that was in the world, it, that, it caused God to be sorry that he made men, and that led to the flood, the punishment. So if, if, if it was no, there's no such thing as law, there will be no such thing as wickedness and evil, and again, God would be unfair for sending the flood and destroying humankind. But of course, we know God is not unfair. So there is something as wickedness, something as evil, and we know that what, what is, when we break God's law, sin is wickedness, sin is evil. And sin is defined as breaking God's law. Then later on, in the time uh, uh, when, when Abraham comes to the picture, you know, remember that God made a promise to Abraham that, 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 that through God, uh, Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And, 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 and God keeps this promise to Abraham. And Abraham has a son, Isaac. And when Isaac grows up, God reiterates the promise that he made to, to Abraham, to Isaac. And he tells him the reason why. Notice Genesis 26, 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So notice Abraham was obedient to what? To the commandments, to the statutes, and to the laws. What commandments, what statutes, what laws? If there was no such thing as laws before Exodus 20, what is Moses, the writer of Genesis, talking about here? So there must have been commandments, laws, statutes that God thought it was important for us to keep him, for humanity to keep him. And of course, Abraham did those things. So even though they're not listed, as we find them in Exodus 20, we see that God had laws, commandments, and statutes in Genesis 26. Then later on, again, we're still in the book of Genesis. We move to the time of Joseph. 
And you know the story of Joseph. Joseph uh, um, is sold into slavery by his brothers to the Midianite traders. They, in turn, sell him to the Egyptians. Potiphar, the captain of the guard, purchases Joseph. Joseph serves as a slave in his house. But Joseph was a strapping young man. Right? And um, we're told that uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, you know, she had her eye, her eye on Joseph. We read in Genesis 39, verses 7 through 9. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. Notice she wanted to have an affair with Joseph. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my, my master does not know what it is with me in this house. And he, had com he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in uh, this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from, from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and do what? And sin against God. So notice, Joseph already has knowledge of what sin is. Sin is transgression of the law. And he knew that having a relationship with a woman that he's not married to was a sin against God. Adultery, fornication. So there must have been some kind of rule that says you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit fornication. He was familiar with it, and he did not want to dishonor God by doing that. Again, even though there's nothing listed. Then we go to Exodus, the book of Exodus, at a time uh, where God calls on Moses, go to Egypt and, and let and set my people free. And, and so once he convinces him, he, uh, Moses goes in with Aaron and presents himself to, to Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 5, let my people go that they may offer sacrifices to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh, of course, did not acquiesce. He, 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 of course, does not acknowledge God. He refuses to let them go. And he goes on to say, Exodus 5, verses 4 and 5, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them do what? You make them rest from their labor. Sometimes we, you know, when we read that, this escapes us here. The word that, that is used here for rest in the Hebrew is the word Shabbat, which is where we, of course, keep, you know, get the word Sabbath. So interestingly enough, notice what's happening here. The, the children of Israel are, are, are Pharaoh's workhorse. They're working every day to, to, to build all those magnificent structures in Egypt. But Moses comes back into the picture, and what does Moses do? You guys need to start keeping the Sabbath. And so this is why Pharaoh is mad, because you make them rest from their labors. You know, you know, they were working every day, and now they take a day off. They're keeping the Sabbath. Clearly, then Moses and the children of Israel were familiar with the Sabbath, which is, of course, one of the commandments. And then later on, when, when the children of Israel are out of Egypt, when, when they're already in the desert, God promised to take care of the needs of his children. He was providing the bread of heaven. What was, what was the bread of heaven called? The manna, right? And God gave instructions to Moses, you need to tell the children of Israel how, how we're going to do this. Because God supplied the manna every day. It, it covered the land. And, and, and they were told, in essence, uh, uh, that the, the, the instructions were, listen, you tell them that Sunday through Thursday, obviously they didn't use the name Sunday through Thursday, but for our benefit, we're going to use those names. Sunday through Thursday, tell them to get out of their tent, 
and collect everything they need for that day. Don't collect anything more. Don't leave anything for the next day. Whatever you don't use, what was going to happen to it? It's going to go spoil. It was going to go bad. It was going to stink. And worms would come out. And, and you remember the children of Israel kind of hard-headed. Some people decided, you know, let me take some extra just in case. right? And, of course, it did go bad. But now, that was just Sunday through Thursday. On Friday, they were told, now, on Friday, this is what you're going to do. You're going to come out of your tent, and you're going to collect a double portion. You're going to collect what you need for Friday and what you need for the next day. Why? That's right. We read about it here in Exodus 16. Exodus 16, verses 23 to 26. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy day of the, to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourself all that remains to be kept until the morning. So they laid up till morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, it's the Sabbath, there will be none. So it would not fall, they would collect a double portion on Friday because none would be, you know, fall on the Sabbath. You know, that highlights how, how important is the Sabbath to, to, to the Lord because something even as important as providing food for his children, he did not do it on the Sabbath. He, makes, he made sure they had enough throughout the week so that they had enough on Sabbath. I mean, you could argue, why would not he give food on the Sabbath? Well, he, he highlighted the importance of the day. But the miracle took, took place. Sunday through Thursday, anything that was kept for the next day spoiled. But whatever they kept for the next day on Friday did not spoil. God kept it because he, he, he was providing for their needs. But again, this highlights the fact that the children of Israel, because this is before Exodus 20, this is before the, the laws listed, they already knew what the Sabbath was all about, and so did Moses. This was not strange to them. They understood this. So obviously there must have been some kind of law that said the Sabbath is the seventh day. Make sense? So it's very clear, friends, that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, were in existence before Sinai, even though the commandments were not mentioned before as we find them in Exodus 20. And this is foundational. It's foundational because it tells us that God's law was not just for the Jews. It was not just for the Hebrews. God's law is for all humanity. It's for everyone. But now critics will say that because Jesus kept the law perfectly, that we no longer have to keep it. He did it for us. Isn't that great news? Mary, you don't have to keep the law because Jesus kept it for you. Takes away all your responsibility. Jesus did it for you. And all this will, will misquote certain passages like Colossians 2.14 saying that the law was nailed to the cross. And, and there was a law nailed to the cross, but you've got to read it in context. You know exactly which law was nailed to the cross. It certainly wasn't the Ten Commandments. Right. No, because the law was nailed to the cross, Christians no longer need to keep it. And again, this is what I hear as I speak to Christians. This is exactly what they tell me. But friends, nowhere... Does the Bible say that God's law had an expiration date? Nowhere. In fact, Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8 says, The works of his hand are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand for how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. And Jesus, you remember Jesus in there in a Sermon on the Mount, he talked about the law in Matthew chapter 5. Notice what he said. Think, that, think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. 
I am come not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall in no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus himself said it. And this is the New Testament already. Friends, sin is disobedience. Let me say that again. Sin is disobedience. It is breaking God's law. If the law no longer is necessary because Jesus uh, 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 nailed it to the cross, as some people misinterpret it, then the only logical conclusion is that sin no longer exists, or at least sin has been redefined. And redefining sin, the redefinition of sin, may not seem like a a far-fetched issue in the days that we're living. Because today, anything goes. This is the, the, the society that we live in. I gotta tell you, the more I, I, I look at the news, the more I look at what's, what's happening on social media, I am appalled at what, what people are saying these days, that it is God's will that this is the right thing to do these days. Friends, there, was, there used to be a time when what was right was right, what wrong was wrong, and the Bible defined it, there was no controversy over it. But that's not the case anymore. That's not the case anymore. And while it is a sad thing, uh, um, you may expect that from people that don't want to have any relationship with God, people that don't want to have any relationship with the Bible, people that don't believe in God, you might expect that, but it is a sad thing when you hear Christians say this. Sad. Could Could there be a reason for this? Yes, there is. Satan has convinced many that God's law is no longer important, that it has been done away with. And unfortunately, many Christians today believe this. This is why, friends, the law of God and his desire for us to obey it is part of the end time message. It is part of the present truth because the law leads us to the only one who can help us, the only one who can do anything, Jesus Christ. It is no accident then that when we, when we come to the end of the three angels' messages, after well, uh, 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 John addresses the, the whole issue of the mark of the beast and the fact that all the world wonders after the beast and worships the beast, then he says in Revelation 14, 12, he is a patient of the saints. He are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. He makes a contrast. The whole world wonders after the beast, but, but, but there's a group of people that believe that God wants us to keep the commandments. Not because the commandments save us, but because we're already saved. Again, some people you know, believe that making a strong emphasis on, on the law, like we're talking about it now, oh, that's legalism. You're talking about the law, that's legalism. That this somehow diminishes the role of grace. But friends, keeping the God's law does not save anybody. Let me say that again. Keeping God's law does not save anybody. Because God's law was never meant to save anybody. See, when you get to heaven, you're not going to find a group of people on the left that say, well, I'm here because I kept the law perfectly. And then you go to the right and they're going to say, well, I'm here not because I kept the law, because I didn't, but God is gracious and that's why I'm here. Friends, salvation has always been by grace. From day one, salvation has been by grace. It's never been by obedience. That's never been the purpose of the law. James tells us, our scripture reading, James chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. 
It's not just to understand that there is a law. You've got to be a doer. You've got to be a continue in it. And notice he, he compares the law with a mirror. What does a mirror do? It's a reflection. It shows you. You, know, you realize the, the mirror is not there to cleanse you. You, you come dirty from you know, mowing the lawn or something. You look yourself in a mirror and you're a mess. The, 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 the mirror is not going to cleanse you. And it's certainly not the mirror's fault that you're dirty. But the mirror tells you, you got to go and take a shower. you gotta get, you know, you got to get cleansed. And that's what the law is. The law is a mirror. It tells us that we need somebody to cleanse us. And that's only Jesus who can do that. Again, this is the New Testament. But friends, we know what, what, what we need. I think this is the problem that many people have. Many people lack motivation. And we need motivation. Motivation that will allow us to look at things with a right perspective. And I think this is the problem. For, for many, the, the fact that God requires us to keep his law, it, it, it takes away their joy somehow. But friends, we need to learn to look at things in the right way. The, you know, there's a difference between having to do something and wanting to do something. You see the difference? And love, friends, you, you, you realize love is a strong motivator. Yeah. Those of you who have been in love know what I'm talking about. I shared this story with you before. If you read the book, it's in the, in the book too. But um, there was this young couple, teenagers, who were in love. They're boyfriend and girlfriend. And, uh, but it, the time came for the boyfriend to go to college some six hours away from home. And so he went. Now, this was the day before there was uh, Zoom and, and you know, all those things, that, you know, the technology. You can watch yourself on, online on, uh, on your phone. Isn't it amazing, the, the technology? I'm thankful for the technology. You know, we can, I, like, I was in Colombia, and I could see Lucy almost every day, even though the Internet was kind of shady. But there was a time that wasn't the case. Uh, some of us, some of you young folks are like, man, really? How can you live without a time like that? But, you know, when Lucy and I started dating, I didn't have a phone in my house. I had to go down the street to the public phone and put 10 cents. Back then it was 10 cents. You put a dime in there, you can talk. And sit on the ground, and that's how I would talk to Lucy. So this, this, this young couple, it was the same case. They, 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 uh, you know, they, they, they didn't have a, a Zoom and all those things. They had to talk on the phone. And it's, it's not, not the same when you talk on the phone. You're far, far away. It's just not the same. So they missed each other. Finally, the, the young man decided, you know what? Uh, he left early one, one, one afternoon to, from his classes, and he drove six hours to go home. And he finally saw his girlfriend. Oh, how happy they were. They embraced each other. They kissed each other. They were so happy. They, they spent such a, a great half an hour together. It was just half an hour. 30 minutes. Well, why 30 minutes? Because he had to be early in the next morning in class, so he had to drive six hours right back to school. Hmm? Because he had, you know, he had to get there and get some sleep so he can be early in the morning in school. So he drove 12 hours to see his girlfriend just half an hour, but it was all worth it. Because love makes you sometimes do some silly things. Love is a strong motivator, isn't it? It is. You know, I've told you that I'm an animal lover. For the most part, I'm an animal lover. I love most animals. Cats, I tolerate. But, I, uh, but you know, their house, I tolerate them. But, you know, it's funny because, you know, opposites attract. Lucy is an avid cat lover, and I'm a dog lover. She doesn't care for dogs. I love dogs. I don't care for cats. She loves cats. So years ago, she, we had this cat, Ebony. She was a black cat. 
And, and we got Ebony when Gianluca was just a young, two years old. So he was a toddler. We got Ebony really for him, but it turns out she became Lucy's cat because Lucy and her developed a, such a strong bond that they were bosom buddies. And, and, and you know, animals have this sense for some reason. Lucy would get a lot of migraines back then, and if she had a migraine and she had to go to bed, Ebony somehow sensed that, and she would go right with her and would lay next to her head and, and, and would just do there to comfort her. And, and it was just a, it was uncanny, this whole bond that Lucy and Ebony had. And so we had her for a long time. Eventually, I was 16, I think she was, when she got sick, congestive heart failure, and, she, and we had to put her down. So you can imagine, because you know, when you, if you have pets, you know that we, we, we established this bond. I mean, there's part of our family. So Ebony dies, Lucy mourns her for a long time because she had that strong bond with her. And, um, and eventually, this, I was a student at Southern during this time when Ebony dies. And when Ebony dies, we still have a cat in the house and a dog. And so I put my foot down and I said, we're not getting any more animals in this house. <laughs> so you already know where I'm going here. With it. I put my foot down, we're not getting, certainly not getting another cat. And so every once in a while, Lucy would, oh, let's go get a cat. Please, let's get, let's get a cat. Because she wanted another cat that would have that strong bond that Ebony had. She's searching for that relationship with an animal. And please, and don't talk to me about no cats. No, we're not getting another animal. And that's it. Don't talk to me about this more. A few months later went by. Oh, please, please give me this cat. And leave me alone. Don't, don't talk to me about the cat anymore. I don't want another animal. Shame on me. A few months more go by, and, and, and of course, uh, as time goes by, I begin to see how important this is to her. Not, it's not important to me, but it's important to her. So uh, remember, it was 2013. Uh, um, I'm doing a series of meetings in Louisville. I'm coming back, and, and I said, Lucy, let's go for a ride. And we went to PetSmart, and then we went to the animal section there, because it was her birthday near no and November 15th, around there. So we, you know, I got her. Uh, I decided, we're going to get you that cat. And there he is. You see him on screen? There is Punchy. You know, I was the one who chose Punchy, by the way. Because I figured, if we're going to get an owl, let me choose him. And so I, and it's my fault. So I chose him. I even named him Punchy. Because, you know, you remember, I'm a, I'm a Rocky Balboa fan. And Rocky Balboa's dog is named Punchy. So that's why his name is Punchy. But I got this cat. And there he goes. Well, I was going to get the cat. that Lucy needed that little buddy. But let me tell you, Punchy has been the biggest... Thorn on our side since we got him. This cat is the biggest pain. He's part Bengal, so he's huge. He, if you're not careful, he'll eat you. That's the kind of cat he. He's just that's a strong personality, and he never became the the cat that Lucy wanted. You know, even and he's still at home, and so he became really Ariana's cat. But I, I tell you what, he is just the biggest pain in the world. So so uh, so Erica, you saw early how you asked how did that go? Because I put my foot down. We're not getting any more cats. We got uh, Punchy, and sometime later, Ariana becomes aware of this litter of cats that have been thrown out onto the street. And uh, I, I, forgive me if I get the, 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 the story a little wrong, but I believe there was a family that wanted to, was going to, to take the cats and take care of them. But this particular cat, there's one of the kittens who had an eye injury. The eye was swollen. It was infected. The, the cat needed surgery. They had to take the, the, the cat out. And so 
And so Ariana had the brilliant idea, well, you know, they are willing to take the cat as long as we, you know, get the surgery. So she did a GoFundMe page for, for the cat to collect money to get the surgery. And, and so the idea was, well, listen, we're going to bring the cat home until we get the surgery done. And then we'll give the cat to the family. But you know where this is going, because I said to them, that's not going to happen. You're going to fall in love with the cat. And, well, long story short, that is exactly what happened. We get the surgery, and there she is. This is Hope. You see her with one eye. And interestingly enough, Hope became the buddy that Lucy was looking for. In fact, I would say that the bond that Lucy has with Hope is even stronger than what she had with that black cat, Ebony. You see her there sitting on with a computer in the back because Lucy works from home, and, and the cat works from home too. Because when Lucy goes to work, there goes the cat. She was there. Lucy goes to the bathroom, the cat follows right through the bathroom. It's just uncanny. So again, I don't care for cats. She does. And so we have, at, some, at one point, we had three cats in the house. Thankfully, John, John Luke moved out, and he took the cat with him. Yes. Well, that... <laughs> but, but, but listen, mind you, we've been married 32 years, and in the 32 years, we've had three dogs. I'm the, I'm the dog lover. We have had three dogs. And in all these years, I have not been the one who searches for the dog. She's been, it's been her. She looked for a dog. I didn't ask for it, but she, because she knows she loves me, she loves me, she, and I know I, I, I love dogs, that's what she gets, and so this is the final one she got me. Some of you have seen Bailey on, on social media, and that's my girl right there. That's my girl. Lucy, Lucy went out of her way to get Bailey for me, even though she doesn't like dogs, and she's, I don't like this dog, she's a big fan, but because she knows it's important for me. Now, you know, why do I tell you about dogs and cats? Because when we love someone, we're willing to do anything to please that person whom we love. And I believe this is what Jesus had in mind. John chapter 14, verses 15 and 21. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who, loves, who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Notice, it's not just to know them, it's to keep them. Because when we love somebody, you know, so, some people again say, you know, this emphasis on the law takes away our, 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 our joy as if the commandments are a burden for friends. When you love somebody, it's not a burden what you do for them. Jesus, uh, John said it in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a burden. They're not burdensome. Why? Because we love him. Because we love him, friends. Obedience, friends, it seems, is the proof that we love God. Jesus. But only when, when obedience follows the natural result of love for God and for others uh, uh, um, may, you know, can we be acceptable into God's sight. Love is the motivation. And love has to be more than words, friends. Is it important that we tell our loved ones that we love them? It's important that we say it with words, but friends, it's more important that we show them and we show them with our actions. If I was with Lucy, and I've been married 32 years, and I told her every day I loved her, but with my actions I saw, I, she saw something different, we would not be together for 32 years. And I will be, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, even after 32 years, I'll be the first to admit that sometimes uh, it's still for me hard to read Lucy and to, and, and to uh, you know, understand the ways that I, that I, uh, of things that I need to do to show her that I love her. Even after 32 years, sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. I think that's a problem with us men. Sometimes we're a bit insensitive. But with Jesus, we don't have to wonder. 
He tells us what we ought to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so if somebody is to ask me, Pastor, why do you keep the commandments of God? I tell them simply, I keep the commandments because I love Jesus. Because I love Jesus. Well, how about you, friends? Do you love Jesus? Let me see your hand if you love Jesus. Love is the motivator, friends. Love is the motivator. Have you seen? Is it on there, uh, Lawrence? Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prospers. When we meditate on the law of God, everything we do prospers. But you know, those that are... Um, a bit critical of where we, why we talk about the law. Those that will say, well, you know, we ought to live in the spirit. We don't need to uh, keep the law anymore. We don't have to abide by its damning demands. When you dig a little deeper, you find out they're not really being honest with you. When you, when you, when you ask some deeper questions, you realize they really don't have a problem with the commands. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll justify, yeah, we, we don't have to keep the commands. Living in the Spirit is all that matters. But living in the Spirit translates into, you don't commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall not have idols. All those things are translated into living in the Spirit. The problem is not with the commandments. It's with one of them. And, 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 and ironically, they want us to forget the one that God says, remember. And, and, and that's why they're not completely honest. If they were honest enough, we would, could, could have honest conversations with people. But that's not one that we, they have a problem with. And this is why we're going to talk about this in our next presentation next week. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. Amen? That's all. Thanks for joining us. If you're ever in the Nashville area, come and visit us at the Nashville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're located at 2800 Blair Boulevard in Nashville, Tennessee. You may also visit us at nfsda.org. Dot org.